Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Kevin Wade. We were just talking about this off the air. Um, a, this is an impressive yeah. victory for Oregon, seventy-seven to six. But Eric just noticed that Oregon rattled off seventy straight points. Yeah, seventy unanswered uh, against Nevada. And I don't care. This is kind of like one of those those scores where I don't care the quality of opponent that you play. You just scored 77 points in a football game. I mean, that does not happen very often. Um, I mean, I, I think we were maybe a little spoiled with, in you know, the, the Chip Kelly days and the Mark Kelfrich early days of, you know, scoring like a gazillion times in a game, you know, really quickly every every game. That, that that's not the norm, and that happened today for for Oregon. I mean, you look at the the times of of when Oregon scores, like. They they scored with eight twenty eight to play in the second quarter, and then they scored again with seven minutes and thirteen seconds to play in the second quarter. They scored with ten minutes and twelve seconds to play in the third, and then scored again with eight fourteen, and then again with seven sixteen. I mean, it's just insane. You, the biggest stat to me was eight straight drives with a touchdown, and then they punted once, and then Nevada fumbled, and Oregon scored on the yeah, next I play. Mean, you've got so many so many stats. Eleven different players scored the touchdowns, and I think six of them had scored their first touchdown. Maybe seven actually. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, so many players. Eleven there. touchdowns scored by eleven different players. Not one player on Oregon's roster scored a t- more than one touchdown in this football game. Um, and we haven't even gotten to like the. I haven't turned the page of the box score. I mean, it's, <laughs> You're it's, just like on the front. It's literally just the front page of all the of all the scoring drives and the quarters, uh, or all the scoring plays. Excuse me, in the quarters. Um, first downs. Oregon had twenty eight. Nevada had twelve. Um, Nevada just ran for 83 yards. They averaged 2.1 yards per carry. Uh, they finished with 109 yards passing and a total of just 192 yards of offense. They averaged 2.8 yards per play. And this, I want to open the podcast with this because it's going to get lost in the shuffle. We're going to talk a lot about Oregon's offense. We're going to talk a lot about deep shots. We're going to talk about Justin Herbert's big game. We're going to talk about Oregon's 623 yards of total offense. Oof. And the fans are going to just focus so much on, on the 77 points and everything that the offense did and how good they looked, which is all true. But the defense is maybe, in my mind, the story of the game. I mean, yeah. they are insanely good. And I was I, I said on the podcast beforehand, I said on the site a couple times, and Kevin's story of the predictions, I said that Oregon would score a lot, would score 49 points, and then Nevada would backdoor cover because Oregon would pull their starters and the second string, while talented, wouldn't wouldn't be as good. And they were. They were just as good as the first team. Yeah, how about that? The second team defense allows zero points in probably about, what, a quarter and a half, maybe? Yeah. And, and, and again, like, you just run through the numbers. I think they had 13 tackles for loss, five sacks, uh, four quarterback hurries, they forced four turnovers, they scored a touchdown, and like we said earlier, 192 total yards. Like, this is as complete of a defensive effort as you're going to see. This is a Nevada team that last week... Uh, they beat Purdue. They beat Purdue and had like 450 yards. If we're being real, I mean, it really should have... They should have only scored three points because yeah, yeah. the second field goal came off... Uh, not a muff, but what was it? Hit the, one of the balker, return yeah. blockers. So, I mean, yeah. really should have only been three points. And that was another... I wouldn't call it an Oregon mistake, but... It was a stand by the defense. Yeah, two great defensive stands that... You know what the Ducks... Theoretically, could have made it a three-point. It should have been 77-3. Who even knows? 
And I don't know. I could now two weeks into looking at this Andiabolos defense, like this looks. Is this a hot take? I feel like this is a hot take. I was going to I was like, this looks like the best defense I've seen at Oregon probably since, like, it, I think it's better than that 2014 defense, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's, we're only two games in here. <laughs> and that team played for a national championship. But this is a really, really, really good defense. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to see this uh, a defense in the last five or six years just dominate a game like they did. Yeah. And, again, I think it, the, the offensive numbers are really impressive, but the defensive numbers are equally as impressive. And I think... I think that's really one of the things that stands out now two games in is that, like, okay, clearly, and we'll talk about the offense quite a bit, that clearly this offense has some playmakers, but there was no drop-off from the first string to the second string, it felt like. You know, DJ Johnson, who didn't play in the first game, had seven, he had a team-high seven tackles, he had a team-high three tackles for loss, he had a sack, Mace Funa had three tackles for loss, two sacks. Uh, these are guys that are basically playing their first games at Oregon who went out and, and dominated while they were on the field, so... Uh, hats off to Andy Avalos and his defense. Cristobal said that uh, you know that this group has really bought into everything uh, Avalos has been trying to do, and that it shows. But that this defense can still get, I think he said, a whole lot better. And that's yeah. really scary to yeah. think about. A whole lot better than what we saw tonight. I think there are guys that like DJ Johnson didn't get a lot of play until the second half, and he uh-huh. he led the team in tackles. I I, yeah. I know that might be worth second seven tackles towards the second half, but. You really wonder, it's like, if DJ Johnson is at his full potential, Mace Muna, who's a true freshman, really mm-hmm. starts to find himself. Like, what could this defense be capable of towards the end of the season and even for the future? Absolutely. Yeah, this is going to be a scary defense in Pac-12 play, absolutely. Uh, look at this defense in, you know, 3 of 17 on third down for Notre Dame, for Notre Dame, for Nevada. Um, 2 of 3 on fourth down conversions. I think those came in the fourth quarter when the game was completely in doubt. Um, Oregon scored 28 points off of four turnovers created mm-hmm. by Oregon's defense. Uh, the Ducks had five sacks for a loss of 28 yards. Uh, red zone chances. Um, Nevada got into the red zone just once, and it was on the muffed punt, and didn't, didn't score a touchdown. I mean, the defense did everything you asked them to do, and then some in this football game. And I, I, I really feel like that this this group, first unit, second unit. For the first time in a, in a very long time, I, I'm not with you in saying that this group is the best defense that we've seen in a long time at Oregon. Two, since, you, know, you said two, better than the 2014 defense. Yeah, I'm not, I'd have to really go back and look to make some sort of comment like that, but it I, feels I, that way. It feels that way. I'm not 100% there yet, but I am willing to say that Oregon football, for my lifetime essentially, has been, and I'm, I'm 33, which is not that old, but for my lifetime at least, Oregon football has been known for offense, right? Mm-hmm, like sure. they win games and they know, you know, they're known nationally for their big plays at, at receiver, at running back, their quarterbacks, high flying offenses, putting up all these yards, scoring all these touchdowns. This defense might be, I think, the face of the program for the for this season. I mean, and we're talking about a game that when Oregon was seventy seven. You said that after Oregon scored seventy seven points. I, mean, I, I just feel that way after I two agree. games. I agree on I mean, so the 77 points are kind of like, yes, they're what the score shows, but it's almost not, it's not the story. No, agreed. exactly. And if you want to make an offensive story, it's just like, oh, well, the offense is pretty deep, too. Yeah. yeah. Let's move to the offense now. I guess what, Kevin, for you, we'll start with you. Just 
what do you take away from a 77-point performance? Obviously, the defense scored one, so 70 points scored by the offense. What I think there was a lot of questions. I mean, even before the game, we noticed that J.J. Tucker was, was out and not dressed in uniform, which I think a lot of – just looking at that, that's – very suboptimal with only, what, five scholarship receivers that started the season. I think that was your set, Eric. Yeah. I mean, very yeah. suboptimal. It's crazy. Well, we should and mention Juwan Johnson didn't play this game. And Juwan Johnson didn't play either. Cam McCormick was out. But then you looked at all the different receivers who stepped up. I mean, every touchdown was scored by a different player. Yes, some were defensive. But Brady Ayello, Ryan Day, yeah. Jacob Breeland. God, there's too many storylines. David Davis, Brian Addison. I have already lost track of everyone who scored today. But yeah, it's you did pretty good. You got most of the guys. Who did I miss? Cantmore. Uh, oh, Cantmore. <laughs> it's crazy. But you have to go to the point where you forget who scored. Touchdowns. Well, we should mention seven touchdowns, which is ties a school record, and that's between Herbert and Tyler Shuck. We have there's so many stories we haven't even got to. So when Shuck comes in, he was eight for nine. He had two touchdown passes. I mean, his he first was pass, quarterback controversy. <laughs> his, his first pass, like, was was bad. Like I will say, it was bad. Good. And then next play, boom, hits. Was it Derek? Jim uh, Red. Joe is red. Yeah, for a yeah. touchdown. Um, I and, but seven touchdowns, and it's also a school record to seven different wide receivers. That's a school record, and, and the most uh, different receivers to score a touchdown. And, uh, yeah, Brady Aiello, we should mention, like, this is an offensive tackle who's not playing tight end, and he's like, he's not like a tackle eligible thing entirely. He's like wearing 82 and like playing tight end apparently full time. Like, that's, and, and he, I think he came in the second half to play a little right tackle, but like, that's freaking crazy. Like, that's, and that's like the, like the seventh most like important thing that happened tonight. I, I, there's so much that happened. Um, but yeah, you know, for me, we came into this game talking about all these receivers are out. I think six wide receivers that are on scholarship were unavailable due to injury, which is insane. insane. And 14 different players caught passes, seven different players caught touchdowns. Um, David Davis was a defensive back like eight days ago, and he had four catches for 39 yards and a touchdown. And I talked to them after the game, like most of those catches he made, none of the, those weren't easy catches. I think the touchdown was fairly easy, but a lot of those catches were in traffic. I thought he played really well and showed that he has some uh, upside here. And Brian Addison, who we should mention, dropped a big touchdown potentially in, in Dallas. That could have changed the complexion of that game. He had two catches he for scored. eight yards, and he scored a touchdown, his first touchdown. So, I mean, you run up and down this list here. That I think just the, the fact that we came in going like, okay, who, who's going to be the weapons at wide receiver? That could be the, the, way, the reason they don't win this game, or this game's more competitive than it should be. And yet you come out of this game going like, oh, maybe they've got like 14 guys who can catch passes, and obviously it's not entirely going to be replicable, but it's impressive. I, I know that you can't say like Nevada's defense, I mean, they beat Purdue, so you can say that like, they can't be a power five team, but I think the one thing that we saw throughout the game is they were working with a ton of different personnel and different schemes. I think when they put in Travis Dye mm-hmm. um, early in the second half, I think it was the last drive that Herbert ran, they ran two quick underneath checkdowns to Travis Dye, and then Travis Dye waits, comes out of the backfield, looks like it's going to be another check down. Boom, Johnny Johnson, wide open for a 31-yard reception yeah, good point where there. he was just right underneath the, the top level and was able to catch the ball. And then, what, he hit another 34 pass to Breland and then we, a touchdown. We've talked a lot about you know, the lack of depth at receiver for Oregon. Look at the, the tight ends in this game stepped up in a huge way. And I'm yes. going to count Brady Aiello as a tight end <laughs> because he caught the pass as an eligible tight end, number 82. Chris Paul said he's a tight end. Chris Paul said a 6'6", 305-pound player is a tight end. He said it. I'm just saying. Uh, They had... Let me just double-check my math here because I want to be right. Okay. Um, Breland had four catches. Campmoyer, Bay, Dollars, and a yellow. They had eight total catches, right? For 155 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, you you meant Webb instead of Dollars. Yes, Webb. 
Evans uh, dollars, excuse me. But they had uh, they had eight catches. The tight ends combined eight catches, 155 yards, and four touchdowns. And I think for the most part, every single one of those touchdowns, the guy was completely wide open. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm running through the plays in my head. Yeah, they I mean, were they were all that's good, and that's good play design by Marcus Morrell. I was just going to say we've made a big deal about it ourselves. Uh, Oregon fan base has certainly made a big deal about it of the lack of creativity or the lack of scheme, the lack of X and O's, the lack of play calling, whatever you want to call it. They hammered him all week. They did, and they have hammered him for a long time. And for the most part, I think every single one of Oregon's touchdowns today that was through the air, at least, were perfectly designed, perfectly called plays that came from Marcus Arroyo that resulted in, quite frankly, easy touchdowns. I was going to say, I'm just looking through this. I think every touchdown they scored was basically uncontested, where a defender didn't even have a chance to make a play on the ball. Like, Are we it, talking reception touchdowns? Receptions, yeah. yeah. Every single one of these. I, I'm just looking down the list. Breland's touchdown was that way. Daywood's touchdown was that. Addison's was a wide-open touchdown. I guess Red had to run through some guys. So that was on a screen pass. But he, but I mean, it was perfectly designed. It was perfectly he, designed. I'm just saying, like, in, the, in Camp Meyer and Bay and Aeolos were all completely uncontested. I mean, that's... That's really, really impressive, for sure. The great design, too, but I also want to mention Jacob Breland on his touchdown. Ran away from the yeah. Showed some, some, showed guy, some wheels. Yeah, just overall impressive night. I mean, we haven't even talked about the run game where they ran for 226 yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just so much to look into in this football game. Um, from, a, from a running back standpoint, or, uh, real quick, Justin Herbert's performance, um, his first eight throws, mm-hmm. he started the game off really good. Mm-hmm. Completed two straight balls. It looked like he was just going to be on this, this this run where he was in a groove early. He was going to eat up a, you know, a ton of yards. And then it, something just happened. He just, he just got off schedule. I'm going to steal a phrase from Mario Cristobal here. I like you doing that. Uh, he, he got off schedule and completed one of his next six passes. And the five that he threw incomplete were god-awful. Yeah, some of them were really, really bad. Like, bad throws, a couple, like, okay, maybe one or two of them I think he may have gotten hit. I know the Jalen Red one yeah, on fourth down, he did, tough. He, he did get hit while throwing the football, and so that impacted the throw a little bit. But none of those incomplete passes were even close to being completed, really. And all of a sudden then, he shows up, and he starts ripping off pass after pass when midway through the first quarter, there's not necessarily booze, but there's definitely some kind of like, ugh, like, what is going on with the offense? And the next thing I know, he, he rattled off, I think, like, eight, eight straight eight passes. Straight completions he, for he, two touchdowns, like 150 yards. Yes, exactly. Something like that, yeah. And it, all of a sudden, he then turns in. I, I, I'd love to know. Uh, I'm really terrible at doing math while I'm talking at the same time. Maybe I should talk and you can do math? I think, I, if I'm correct here, he did... If you take away that little that little spurt where he went one of five or one of one of six throwing, um, he ended up being eighteen yeah. of twenty throwing the football. Yeah, it's pretty good. Which is just absolutely absurd. Absurd. Okay, here's here's a question to pose. Okay, the fact that they had so much success throwing the ball, four hundred yards, seven touchdowns between two quarterbacks, is that that's obviously good. Let's start by saying that's not bad. 
does that make you reflect back to last week where they lost to Auburn and they didn't challenge Auburn down the field and go like, man, that was a lost opportunity because clearly there was an opportunity to do that? Or do you go that this is a different defense and a Nevada defense that we talked, Matt and I know going into the week about how they gave up like a ton of yards to Purdue. Is it more of, which which one is it? Do you end up looking back on like, man, they really should have been throwing it more, that was a mistake? Or do you go back and go like, this is just a different animal because Nevada's not the same team. Mario Cristobal addressed that a little bit in the postgame today. He did. And he, he talked about that, you know, there, some, there were some missed opportunities, but then there were opportunities that they, they tried to create and they just weren't there. Uh, upon rewatching the Auburn game, I, I agree with, with that. You know what, some of their opportunities, Auburn did a great job of stuffing. Right. Um, but it also wants you, makes you say, like, you know what, in that third quarter against Auburn, they just stopped being aggressive, it felt like. It, it wasn't, it was just handoff, 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 not. Let's keep going over the top and try and beat Auburn. It was just let's hold on to this twenty-one-six lead. So, I think it's a little bit of both. I agree. If that, I mean, if that's cheating, so be it. But I think I honestly, I honestly think it's a little bit of both because, yeah, I asked Mario if this game plan today was a little bit of just matchup situation where. You, you saw some stuff in the game film that you could take advantage of, or, or were they more concerted? Was there a more concerted effort to throw downfield? And he said a little bit of both. And like Kevin said, that you know you have to, you have to give credit. Auburn eliminated, took away some of the things that Oregon wanted to do in that football game, and you know that limited the options they had from a play calling standpoint. But at the same time, like I. I gotta think, you know, seeing what they did in this game, especially in the first half, they took seven shots downfield, 20 or more yards, uh, in that football game, uh, through the air. And against Auburn, they just did that three times. Yeah, and it was I, all and in the first quarter, I think, or first half. Exactly. And I think, I, I think when, even if you don't complete those passes, it puts a stress on the defense and lets them know that they have to be on their toes because if, if not, you're gonna get beat deep and you're gonna give up a big play. And it loosens up the run game a little bit, and I, I, I just think going forward, this is kind of what you want, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. obviously, yeah. But at the same time, like I think Oregon's found something with the tight ends with Webb last week, and everybody else that contributed at tight end this week. I just think that you have something there that you can you can stress a defense with, and use those shots. And, and, and continue to take them because you've got maybe the best quarterback in college football. And the scary part here again is that they they did all this damage without six of their best. I don't know, right. Eleven true wide receivers. Uh, that's that's really really an impressive thing. Again, a testament to what this offense can be. Because I think you know I do think when this offense gets back and the way this defense has looked now in two weeks, like I stand by what I said after the Auburn game. I still think this team it will win the Pac-12. Um, and if they play like they did today or 95% of like they did today in every game in the conference this season, I think they're going to run the table and they could do it pretty lopsidedly in some games. I, I hate to say this, but here we go. A team with a strong offensive line, really strong defense, and knows how to use their tight ends. Are, are we seeing Alabama here? <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, certainly uh, that, that's, that's a huge jump, man. I love it. I'm just kidding. No, no, it's not bad. It's not. That's not the worst analogy anyone's ever used. I'm, I'm sure not. Christopher would love that you compared to <laughs> or the other places he refers to it. Okay, let's, real quick, let's running back. Yeah. My takeaway from this: Why does Darian Felix not get more carries? I know. 
right? I know. Eight carries, 83 yards, and a touchdown. He had the impressive one, the final score of the game, 62-yarder up the seam. He just looks... He also had a catch for 21 yards. Oh, right. He also had, yeah, he, had a, he also had a catch, too. I mean, but he just looks significantly faster than everybody else at running back. Like, I'd be really curious to know what is preventing him from getting on the field more often. Because he's, it's clear after two games, it, the, the, the pecking order goes, CJ Verdell, Travis Dye, Cyrus Abilakio, and then Darian Felix. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm really curious to know what is preventing Felix from being higher up on the depth chart. Physically, I think I would agree that he is extremely impressive in the open field. Like, that touchdown run was, like, he's really, really fast. And we saw it even against Auburn where that stutter step and then that, that quick burst of speed, like... Yeah, he's a weapon out there. And we should mention that they put up 220 yards. I don't think Verdell had a – I don't think he played the entire second half. He didn't have a carry. I know that. He had 11 for 60 in the first half. Um, I I would like to see more Felix next week against Montana. And I think if he keeps performing like he does this – like he he needs a bigger role in the offense. I should say he needs. But I would think let's put him out there. He's got the speed, especially against some of these teams – like a team like Stanford, you get him in the open field. Not that Stanford's slow, but like maybe he can do some stuff. I don't know. I, I agree. I was I was impressed with him through two weeks, and he feels like a weapon that that maybe has been a little underutilized. And that's weird saying that because we're two games in. But um, I agree with you, Matt. I, I think he's he's a really intriguing part of this run game. And we saw Sean Dollars too. Yeah, I think it. We just casually throw that in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. when Oregon playing Auburn last week, it's not like oh, well, they're saving some stuff in the bag when it gets to conference play because you know they had their biggest game of the year to open this year. So right. it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he gets utilized. Maybe they work him into the system, and maybe when guys like Jawan Johnson um, or the other wide receivers get back, maybe there are packages that they utilize to create some screens with larger downfield blocking tight ends. He seems like he'd be great in the, in the screen game. Yeah, I just like if you get Jawan Johnson, Brent Schooler, who Brent Schooler is a great blocker, a fantastic downfield yeah. blocker. Uh, Johnson's John Johnson's also good. Yeah, so if you get those guys back towards the middle of the season, you you can start to kind of open up that screen game. It'll be interesting. Um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot that this team is still evolving that we don't quite know yet. Even though they've arguably played one of their biggest games. Here's, here's my just a overarching storyline: is the depth in this team is really impressive. You look at running back, four players played. I thought they all looked pretty good. Quarterback, you hit two quarterbacks; they all looked good. We talked about receiver having 14 guys. Defense, like it's like basically every player on scholarship I felt like made a player two here or there. Um, this is a deep, deep football team, and again, that that that's the that's the benefit of recruiting. Like Cristobal's recruited, you know, when when he inherited it, and when certainly when Willie Taggart inherited it, you had like. Your 22 guys were good, but if you had some injuries, you were in trouble. And now it feels like, I mean, they're without a lot of receivers. They're without some top linebackers. And they went out there and, and, and from start to finish playing a lot of second string, third string guys, I thought performed at a really, really high level. 15 true freshmen played in this football game. Wow. For Oregon. That's a lot. Maybe I'm missing yeah. any. That and with the number of them being injured, guys like Lance Wilhoy, J.R. Waters, Michael Pittman. Pittman, so that's 318. So almost... The entire twenty twenty or twenty nine twenty nineteen class. class, yeah. And you look at you look at the guys that played that were true freshmen that played in this game that did not play um, in the Auburn game, and it's it's pretty significant. Um, Gwan Eford played against Auburn, correct? Special teams, yeah. yeah. He played in special teams, but you you then go down to um, 
Keanu Hudson, Brandon Doris. Yeah, Patrick Kerber got in this game. Uh, Kristen Williams got in this game. Suave Poti got in this game. Keanu Ware Hudson got in this game. Brandon Dorless got in this game. Sean Dollars got into this game. DJ um, James. DJ James got Jamal into this game. Uh, Jamal played against Auburn. Yeah, but, uh, but, special teams. but special teams. But yeah, you got a lot of true freshmen into this football game, and you had an opportunity to kind of really get their feet wet and figure out, you know, how can they help you, what can they do, how far are they along, or how far away are they from being able to help you every game. Uh, really good film for that. And let's wrap this up, though. Yeah. I think the, the last thing that we need to talk about is probably the biggest, not the biggest, but one of the biggest questions everyone has wondered for almost a year now is what does Tyler Shuck look like at quarterback? Because he played in a couple games last year. He played in four, but he didn't attempt a single pass, so you didn't really have a good feel of, of kind of what could Tyler Shuck do. And as a redshirt freshman this year, he got in the game, and uh, like Kevin said, his first throw was pretty bad. Uh, but that ended up being his only, incom- excuse me, his only incomplete pass. And he completed eight straight passes for 92 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he did take a sack, but I think all in all, considering that the injuries that Oregon's dealing with at receiver and everything else, he looked pretty good. He looked really, I, and I'm also like leading the Tyler Shuck fan club, so I'm, How are I'm you? a little biased here. I, I've just been really impressed with him back to the spring and into the fall. With just, uh, I think he's a really, I think he's got a really high upside, and I think. You know, obviously you don't want to look at 2020, but you, you come away from this game being like, okay, he can do some stuff. He's very capable when you throw him out there. And, again, the offense didn't miss a beat here, and I'd have to go back and look at the drive chart to see what you know what his conversion rate was when he entered the game here. But let's see. Yeah, I think he led touchdown drives in uh, three of his first four drives, and, the, and, and that's – no, four of his – yeah, he's, he's, I think he led four touchdown drives because there were two rushing touchdowns and two passing touchdowns. And then they had one punt. Like that's that's pretty awesome for a guy playing basically his first extended minutes. And again, you don't want to look too far ahead to 2020 when Herbert's gone. But you got to be at least have an idea of what you've got. And and you got the first look today. If anything, you feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah, you should. And I think that's my biggest takeaway about Chuck is like he had never thrown a college pass, and that was like pretty antsy because. He also looked well, good I mean, running the football, too. He had a great run, and a 13-yard run, I think. Right. Yeah, that's, that, you are right. He had two carries. One uh, was a sack. One, yeah, one was a sack, but he did run for 13 yards, and he was much more athletic or quick of feet or fast, whatever you want to use, uh, than I was expecting him to look. Um, and, look, the reality is is he's one play away from basically being the most important football player on this football team. Yeah. Mario Cristobal has stressed in the spring and even – during Auburn and after they had to put him into that one play, that they fully trust Tyler to run the offense. And I think you can kind of finally get what he's saying. I mean, haven't been able to see it. He proved them right. That's going to do it for us. For Kevin Wade, Eric Scope, and myself, Matt Prame, thanks for listening to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Hopefully we will hear more on the Sorkin football team later on this week, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. Adios, amigos.